Welcome to After Further Review. Mark you can't Berg, hear that? No, no, we can't. We don't can't hear any music. music. Can't hear any oh. music. I, perhaps the people out in Facebook, YouTube, and or podcast land can't. But we can't. But regardless, hopefully you can hear us right now. And, and uh, we are very happy to do another evening show. I kind of like these evening shows, Johnny. I know. Uh, well, good for you. <laughs> Johnny is a little salty tonight for uh, for a variety of reasons. And uh, I'm, for one, really looking that better. That just seems like this would should be. This is my mood right here. Yeah, I should go with this look. He, he He's in a dark, salty mood, which uh, oh we can God. all appreciate. No good deed goes unpunished, Mark. Maybe the absolute truest adage ever. No good deed goes unpunished. That's a pretty that is a pretty good good adage. There's no doubt about it. And in your case, it applies vociferously. <sighs> All right, we are we have a great show though. It's Friday. It's fantastic fun football Friday, John. Boy, if aren't you not, excited? If there aren't enough reasons to be angry, it's fantastic fun football Friday. Which actually might be fun, Mark, uh, when the Pac-12 starts playing those Friday night games. That's why I may yeah. come around on Fantastic Football Friday because yeah. they're going to have a series of Friday night games, and some of them are pretty fun. And you know yeah, my because, love for Pac-12 football. And and that's the thing. College football's taken a hit with you a little bit this year because you haven't oh, yeah. been able to stay up late when you have the house to yourself, pour yourself yeah. a nice scotch on the yeah. rocks or even neat and watch some Pac-12 football. And you haven't been able to do that this year, and that is uh, added to your angst. And now... Uh, while you've been just donating the largesse of your talent, yeah, you've been asked to sacrifice even more a, a Saturday. Wow, unbelievable! Yeah, All right, Big Ten Folks, starting to play this Saturday. Yeah, I mean it's just I'm, tough. It's oh, it's boy. just it's, tough. I'm so I'm, sorry. I hope to uh, ma- maybe this will alleviate your angst and pain and existential uh, ennui tonight. I hope it does. It probably won't. But I hope it does. But it is a great show because we've got Derek Abbott again. Oh, and I like great. the idea of bringing Derek in and having a, having him preview three big games every week, every Friday before the big weekend to see what he thinks about it. He actually studies tape, John Pelkey. What? <laughs> he Sorry. puts the effort in to actually study the tape, make do, a series do, of notes. Do you think he's on a different podcast? Realizing as he should? Get- it, not working, necessary. Working late into the evening, into the early morning. This man uh, is so much better than we are. Let's just put it that way. But before we well, get to him. Yeah, we set the bar relatively the, low. The, the bar is pretty low. Before we get to that, let's go to our progressive trivia right now. We're looking for an NFL player past or present. Here then are the clues. Did you happen to do a Facebook Live, John, to let people know it's a 6 o'clock show? I did, and I still had uh, Joe Conley still dialing in. Uh, because I guess they don't do the spring forward fall back thing there. And he he said, it, it's time. Isn't it time or something on that order? And I had to let him know that it, that it was like an hour ago. He thought it was six o'clock our time. All right. Well, he'll be everybody should be caught up. Hopefully played 10 years in the league. Ten plus years. I should I should I should say career numbers. Twenty seven hundred plus completions. Thirty thousand plus yards and one hundred and fifty plus touchdowns. Uh Oh, 
and it has gone away, and it comes back. Led the league in completion percentage once, and all four years, his college team finished in the top 10. How about that? Mm. That's pretty fun for you, John. That's a okay. good one. We'll go back. That's the second set of clues, so we'll lose that right now, and we'll go back to bring in Derek. Well, there's there's the other set of clues. Why not All just right. say it? Just do them. Just do the national clues. championship. Well, there it is. <laughs> All right. This show's we'll getting bring better in Derek Abbott right, right now. To, <laughs> it, it really is. We're going to talk a little uh, Tua. We're going to preview three of the coolest, cooler games coming up this weekend, although there's uh, a few, actually, that are emerging as uh, kind of Pretty fun games to follow. Not yep. bad. Not bad at all. Derek Abbott, once again, assistant coach for the Coast Guard Academy, former college football quarterback for the great Robert Morris. <laughs> Derek, how are you? Thanks for joining us. I'm good. Super excited. Thank you guys for having me on. And starting to get more uh, – Decorations up in the office here too. Finally, it's not looking as plain as it once was. So we're making we're making a little bit of progress. So the other coaches are giving me crap for it. So had to get some decorations. Okay, they're because they're watching. They're watching this, right? I, I have no idea. I hope not. Because <laughs> <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'm gonna get fired. All right, we don't want that. We do not want that. You're one of the few people that have a job these days, and uh, we want you to keep it. So let's start out with Tua. He, uh, they, he doesn't play this weekend. The Dolphins don't play. They have a bye. But, boy, oh, boy, Dolphin fans are beyond excited. They're excited about uh, what Fitz did for their team thus far. They're 3-3. Three and three. Their defense actually looks like it's uh, close to elite at this point in time on some level. They did play the Jets last week. That's a major caveat. Uh, <laughs> but this is a team that has finding an identity. And not only the players, but the coaches and the entire organization seem ready to give Tua a shot. What are your What are your thoughts? What are your initial thoughts as a quarterback looking at this guy? And um, you know, what kind of what do you anticipate his first few games are going to be like? I think this is a move that um, it doesn't happen if the two aren't very close. And, and from what everyone has said, that. Um, that Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua were very close, and Ryan understood the the role that he was as kind of the father figure, taking him under the wing and kind of showing him the ropes. And Tua is naturally a very, very intelligent football player, too. Um, it's an interesting time, like I said, to make the move. Um, they are you know, still in a um, divisional run as well with Ryan Fitzpatrick playing out of his mind with, with big wins. Um, like against San Francisco, who we're going to talk about in a little bit. But from, from Tua's perspective and going in, I think that you're going to see a lot of what you saw in college from him. So what you saw in college, the scouting report would tell you he was a very pinpoint passer. He works very well in a rhythm and timing throws. He works extremely well in the RPO, so in the run-pass option. So what that means is typically in a run-pass option, you are keying one defender, and he is what we call the conflict defender. So if you want to, if there's a slant route and then you have an inside zone or an outside zone going back the other way, you're really going to conflict the backside linebacker. If the backside linebacker flows with the run, Tua will pull it and throw the slant behind the linebacker. If the backside backer stays, he'll give the football. So he was extremely accurate in that. Um, I think a lot of people want to try and compare him to Russell Wilson, and he's not that. He's more of a, of a Drew Brees type where he's extremely athletic in the pocket, moving in and out. Um, he's not the scrambler that Russell Wilson is, but he could still drive the ball down the field um, on some of the dig routes and, and come and deep comebacks, and he can make all of the throws. Let's uh, let's ask 
you know, the elephant in the room about Alabama quarterbacks during Nick Saban's run, Derek, is that they have not really translated well to success in the in the NFL. To to your point, as far as the accuracy goes, he's probably the most accurate of all of those guys, the A.J. McCarrens of the world. Uh, we don't know about Jalen Hurts, obviously, uh, but and any of those guys. But to you, from seeing what you saw from him in college, um, what are his biggest? What are going to be his biggest um, uh, disadvantages, if there are any, changing his game to an NFL game? Well, I think the disadvantages kind of diminish with the scheme because um, the offensive coordinator Chan Gailey has a spread offense background. And you are seeing now, and it's a common misconception that I think a lot of people still have, is that you have to conform, your quarterback has to conform to your system. And that's not always the case anymore. You're getting a lot of these guys that are top picks that the offense and the program and the scheme is now conforming to them and their strengths. So you're seeing the progression of quarterbacks come along at a quicker rate. So that's why you kind of see the RPO game that's going to come up with, with Miami, just the same way that um, a lot of the concepts that, that Zach Taylor is installing with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati is a lot of the five wide stuff really playing into their strengths and what they can do. The biggest question for Tua is, is his health. Is he going to stay healthy? He had the hip surgery. He's had ankle issues. I believe he had a wrist issue in college too. So I think for him, the best way to stay on the field is kind of avoiding those big hits in a way that Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray, and you see guys like that avoid those. Sometimes Tua will take the bigger hits in college, and you, you don't necessarily want that at the pro level because you'll have a sh- pretty short career. Mark, I believe that's what Nick Saban actually even pointed out, said he's going to have to learn that you can give up on a play from time to time, that it's sometimes the smart thing to do. No doubt about that, and that leads to the question about Miami's uh, offensive line uh, and Will it give him the kind of protection that he is used to? And when I say that, Derek, it's the fact that we all know, and this is why I think Alabama quarterbacks under Nick Saban haven't done well, because they haven't been challenged that much during the course of their career. You look at the top quarterbacks in the NFL, they played for schools that had a lot of challenges, didn't have great teams. North Carolina State, Russell Wilson. All right, Cal for uh, Aaron Rodgers, Miami of Ohio, for crying out loud. Ben Roethlisberger. Yeah, you say that with such disdain, Miami of Ohio. <laughs> well, Miami of Ohio. Good Lord. They don't even play. They play eight-man football, don't they? Good Lord. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to make the point that they don't have great teams or great programs, and that's why these quarterbacks actually have a leg up, in my opinion, because they've had to face that struggle, face that pressure, uh, in college, whereas, you know, now we'll see what Joe Burrow does. He's from he's from a big school. But most kids from the big schools, Darnold not playing very well uh, at the moment, obviously previous Alabama quarterbacks. So so that particular question, along with the Miami Dolphins offensive line, what's the realistic probabilities that all the wonderful things you outlined about his skills and what he can do can actually happen on the football field? Well, I think they can if they stay within the structure of, like I said, the quick passing game, the rhythm throwing, getting the ball out off of a third or fifth step and the play action stuff, really working kind of the intermediate game. I think that that's where he really uh, strives. And to your point, too, about big schools, you could really make the case about Carson Wentz as well, playing at the FCS level. There you go. I have to make 
up to the SS level since I played against Carson once my freshman year. Uh, did not go very, very well for us at dub 52 nothing, and I lost my red shirt that game. Um, <laughs> so it wasn't the best going in, in my We're not bringing it up. My, my one interaction with Carson Wentz was not uh, a pleasant one. But you could make the same case for him, too, is playing at an elite school that you pretty much drummed everyone that you played and in, in coming into a scheme and coming into the NFL where the speed is a lot different. Um, but like I said, I think for Tua in Miami, staying within the scheme and the structure of their offense, um, doing a lot of the RPO stuff, really defining reads for him. So he's not trying to make full field reads, whether you're going to high low a guy with, with a, with an under and a dig or a climb route in a shallow, really defining the reads and making it a lot cleaner for him. So he doesn't get fooled. Yeah, I think a lot of those uh, big school quarterbacks they don't they don't have to learn to throw somebody open. They throw to open receivers, uh-huh. and in the NFL, it's a, it's a little bit different. I want to ask you, I'm going to ask you two questions, Derek, because Joe Conley has one, and I'm going to ask that one after I, I, I ask this question, and that is uh, one of the uh, one of the adages about a rookie quarterback when you don't start him in the beginning and you start someone else is that you know once you put him in, you can't pull him. You know, unless it's an injury situation, unless, you know, and with Tua, of course, that's always going to be something we concern ourselves with, but that you can't pull the guy out um, because that'll destroy their, uh, their, you know, their mentality in some way. Um, that doesn't seem, with a guy like Tua, he doesn't seem like a guy, he doesn't get too high, too low. He seems like a pretty solid guy. But what's your feeling on that? Because I've always thought that's incredibly limiting to say that and maybe detrimental to some of these young quarterbacks who perhaps should get some time on the field and then maybe some time to step away and look at the game from the sidelines after having played. Well, like I, like I said earlier, I think it's a really unique situation in Miami. You have a team that is in the running for a division. You have a great relationship between the starter and the backup and the rookie. Um, so I think that there's going to be growth there. Typically, when a quarterback comes in later in the season in a situation like this, the team is usually one and six, one and five, really struggling. And the rookie quarterback really has to just tread water for the rest of the year. I think he has a really, really good support staff around him. Um, the way that Brian Flores has structured the culture of that team and the understanding of what they're trying to do. I think, too, they want to see what they have in Tua. They saw Justin Herbert play extremely well earlier in the year, so they kind of want to make sure that they're right on this. Plus, the pick that they have from Houston could bump them up into the top five or the top ten. So if Tua does not work out and they don't like what they see, they could still have a potential top 10, top five pick because of the Houston pick. So there are still some quarterbacks at Justin Fields. Obviously, they wouldn't be in the running for a Trevor Lawrence because I think he's going to go number one. But a Justin Fields, Trey Lance from North Dakota State, the kid from BYU, they're, they're, they want to see what they have initially before they go into this draft. That makes a great deal of sense, and that leads to Joe Connolly's question. So we're going to ask you to do the impossible and to put your Dolphins coaching hat on and just say, knowing what you know, Derek, would you have made this change at this point in time? Man, I think it's tough because of the way that Ryan Tannehill, or Ryan Tannehill, old Dolphin quarterback, Ryan, uh, Ryan Fitzpatrick has been playing, again, in the race for the division. But what has happened with Ryan Fitzpatrick throughout the years, the wheels kind of fall off eventually. So I think they're they're kind of doing this, they're kind of doing it kind of progressively and not letting the wheels fall off and them losing a game to a New England or something like that. And they're kind of just letting Tua just roll with it. So they're kind of getting ahead of the curve. I think that's the the thinking here. 
I think I probably would have left Fitzpatrick in, but I think this is a good opportunity with the bye week for Tua to get some more reps in with the first team starter. So you could make the case. I, I like Fitzpatrick just because I like seeing all of his press game or post game. <laughs> That's the sole reason why I would have kept him in. And by the well, way, Harvard, Harvard, you 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 got to throw people open if you're if you play at Harvard, and that's yeah. why he's had success. You got to throw people open. You yes. know, Flores is actually doing a Belichick here because Belichick always gets rid of his players one year too early when they still have value, and so Flores is is benching him. You know, maybe a game too early, but we all know that in a game or two, the wheels are going to fall off, at least if every single other uh, year of Ryan Fitzpatrick's career is <laughs> in, is indicative at all. All right, let's move to the games this weekend. That's a trait, too, that we talked about in the last show about Belichick predecessors or their, his, his coaching tree. They yeah. try to be too like him. The, the Brian Flores and the Mike Rables are taking aspects from Bill Belichick without being Bill Belichick. Good, good call. Outstanding yeah. call. And Flora, I love Flores. I love Rabel. I think those are two fun coaches to follow. Three games we're going to preview this weekend involves your favorite team, Derek, mm-hmm. involves my favorite team, and involves a team that is your second favorite team and my least favorite team. <laughs> Let's start with that one. See, and all three of these teams that we're previewing that I just described are on the road. The first one that we're going to need at, me for this, then you don't need Jeff and I at this point, do you? Because it's just <laughs> you two talking about your favorite teams. And, uh, you know, we're a game out. So just want to remind you, the Washington football team, a game out, people. <laughs> Go ahead. Uh, now talk uh, about your favorite team, Mark. Uh, uh, well, uh, we, we're not going to do that right now. We're going to talk about my least favorite team right now. And uh, at some point in time. And you're right, John. The Washington football team is actually relevant. Game they're, they're more relevant than the San Francisco 49ers, who are three games out of first yeah, so place at the moment. Yeah, break them up. Two and a half games out, yeah. So. Boy, boy, how about that game last night? <laughs> Unbelievable. It was almost offensive a, at times. But can I say, before comeback, we get into this, before we get into themselves. this, I'm going to say something, because we're not going to be able to talk about teams. Before we get, we're going to say this, I'm going to say right now, I think Philadelphia Eagles win the East. I'd like to see it. I think they win the East. I think Dave Jones wins like my dad in the Turkey Bowl. (laughs) Sorry, Joe Connolly, uh, but if this will help you at all, your first guess in the progressive trivia is absolutely right. So, Wow. I loved this one, and I am very, very sad. He got a second second set of clues early, so don't feel too bad. He did. He did. Don't feel too bad about it. So let's start with uh, Seattle going to Arizona. Arizona has been sort of an up-and-down football team this year i think there's a lot of the ceiling on the arizona cardinals is through the roof (laughs) pardon that ridiculous pun uh i love the cardinals i love what they're doing i love where they're going but seattle despite the fact that their defense is as leaky as any in the national football league has the one guy that can do anything and that is probably the the most clutch quarterback I've ever seen in my life. Uh, and, a, and, and, and the reason I say that is because he saves his best for the fourth quarter, for third downs, and everything else. And he just finds a way to win. He finds a way to find an open guy. He finds a way to gain yards. He's the best quarterback in the league, if you ask me right now, and uh, one of the best of all time, if you ask me at this point in time. That's why I think Seattle's going to probably not have any problem with Arizona. What, what's your take? 
Well, Seattle in the Russell Wilson, Pete Carroll era is undefeated at Arizona. The only game that Russell Wilson has ever lost in that building was the, the, uh, the Super Bowl that I'm sure he loves to hear about all the time. <laughs> that building gives him great memories. But he is pretty dominant in that building. Um, the last couple meetings between these uh, two teams have really gone back and forth. Um, you know, I think that we'll start with Seattle and their, and their offense. Um, they're a very simplistic passing game. Some of their concepts are really, really base concepts running a lot of like high low stuff with, with like I said earlier shallows and digs some crosser stuff and then really splitting the field in half and letting Russell Wilson pick a side whether it's you know double slants on one side and double hitches on the other or or stick concept with with a hitch and out and a go route so they're very simplistic on offense um, really interested to see if they like I said continue to let Russell Wilson cook I think that last week or two weeks ago when they played Minnesota, they kind of struggled throughout that game really to get anything going. And I think a lot of that had to do with, one, Minnesota controlling the ball, um, really running the ball, taking the air out of the game and not letting Russell Wilson get into a rhythm. Um, two, I think the weather had a very, very big factor in that game, um, not being able to throw the ball effectively. And three, really the biggest one is what Minnesota really did schematically on defense. They played a lot of cover four and cover two principles with two high safeties and really kept everything in front of them, really prevented the deep Russell Wilson moon ball to, to Tyler Lockett or DK Metcalf. And I think that took a lot away or that took away a lot of what, you know, really stretching the ball down the field. And then he had to kind of make second reaction plays. I think that that's something that really that Arizona really can try and do, especially with, with Buda Baker on the back end, who's playing, out of his mind right now, creating a bunch of turnovers. Um, you know, I think defensively for Seattle, really not having Jamal Adams really hurts them still. Um, you'd like to see that he gets back. I don't believe that he is going to play. I believe he is doubtful or out for this game. But his presence in the run game um, is, is it was big, especially, you know, in the first game of the year when they played Atlanta. His presence was felt. That's something that they've missed. Um, they do not have an elite pass rusher as well, that they struggle getting to the quarterback. So, you know, I think Arizona's key is really don't let Russell Wilson get the ball last. Uh, I want to ask because, no you know, obviously the last time we saw uh, the Cardinals, they looked pretty good against Dallas, but Dallas turned the ball over four. Well, the Cardinals turned them over four times, but that was a big part of it. But to your point, what they really did well, because Kyler Murray was like nine of 24, nine of 25, did not have a really a great game, but they were able to run the ball over 260 yards on the ground for them. So do they have the uh, enough of a running game uh, to do what they did to Dallas and to do what Minnesota did actually to Seattle, slow, slow Seattle's offense, keep them off the field. And what do you expect Ty Kyler Murray's going to have to do? Because I can't imagine against Seattle that nine of 24 for, you know, 140 or whatever it was is, is going to get the job done, frankly. Well, yeah, like you said, the run game is going to be huge and they can really control the ball. I think your best defense is sometimes your offense and not allowing your defense to be on the field when you do not have a great defense. So this is something that I think Arizona will really try and do, not saying that Arizona has a bad defense, but to just keep Russell Wilson off the field and help them out is really, I think, that the key to the game. Um, they're going to try and get DeAndre Hopkins one-on-one. -on -one. 
uh, with some different matchups. Seattle will usually play their base cover three that they always have for the last however many years. They do dabble into some too high stuff, and they'll play a cover two look here and there or some man stuff. Not a ton, um, but you can see you know, them trying to maybe bracket or, or keep one guy over the top of Hopkins to eliminate you know, the big play. With Kyler Murray, the biggest thing is really his accuracy. He's really been inconsistent throughout the throughout the year, just hitting open receivers. Mm. Um, he's been great out of structure and, and making plays with his legs. I think that that's where he thrives the most, um, kind of the same way that Russell Wilson. Not, I mean, obviously, Russell Wilson is out of his mind inside the pocket and out <laughs> by the pocket. But I think Kyler Murray, keeping him within the pocket and maybe sending pressure from different angles where he can't anticipate it, to maybe to force the ball out quickly, and you know, force him to be accurate and tighten the windows. All right, before we move on to the next game, I, I want to ask Jeff, John, and you, Derek, about Russell Wilson's long distance accuracy. I mean, have you ever seen someone who can throw 40 yards more on a dime and drop it in as well as Russell Wilson can? He is, yeah, Jeff Blake throwing the ball. Jeff Blake. Remember Jeff Blake out of East Carolina? I remember Jeff Blake. Best deep ball in football. Might have missed the 12-yard slant, but anything from 30 yards over Jeff Blake was was perfect at. But you're Outside right. Outside of Jeff Blake. No, just <laughs> the great Jeff Blake. East Carolina, by the way, where you got to throw your wide receivers open. I think we're, we're on to something here. Um, but no, I and, and, and I'm sorry to, to, to take over that for a minute, but no, at, with, with a, he's as good a deep ball thrower as, as there is in the NFL right now. Yes, I would agree with that. One hundred percent. I would agree. Yeah, yeah. I I agree. There's yeah, no doubt about it. All I right. Agree as well. I think I think some of it too has has to do with his mechanics as well. The way that he throws, obviously, you know, he has a baseball background, so he does have he he can throw the ball a lot, uh, good distance. But I think <laughs> if you look at his mechanics and you see, well, some quarterbacks, you know, they want to really upfield shoulder to get a higher trajectory. Well, when you watch him throw a deep ball, his shoulders really stay level. And really, his his launch point from his arm is just he just lets go of the ball at a higher point. He has such a high release that he doesn't necessarily need to to maybe dip the back shoulder to get a higher trajectory. It's something really it's something really simple. Um, I even tried to dabble with it when I was playing. Um, I'm obviously not Russell Wilson, but I mean, you can even see like the play when they um, they scored on the touchdown wheel route to the tight end. It was man coverage, and Wilson just. Uh, dropped it right over the linebacker's head, and I mean, it was like it was like schoolyard ball. It was yeah. a beautiful ball. It was well timed, and it couldn't have been placed any better. So the next game we're going to preview are two undefeated teams, two five and O teams. Guys, come on now, this is pretty fun. Pittsburgh, the road team at Tennessee. I've been dismissing Tennessee all year. Most people dismissed Pittsburgh coming into the year. So this is this is the. You know the underachiever game, or the or the the chip on your shoulder game. Both teams have had a lot to prove coming into the season. Who has the advantage here, Derek? Well, I think that the Steelers' front has the advantage here. Um, I think that they they can get to Ryan Tannehill, and if they can stop Derek Henry before Derek Henry gets to that second level, um, they've been really really good against the run. Um, especially against a team like Cleveland with a very good running back and a very good offensive line. Obviously, Derrick Henry is a different animal. I've never seen anybody that big move like that. Um, I saw it in person when he was coming out of college at 
uh, Tom Shaw over at Disney when I had the chance to work with him, and I couldn't believe how just nimble his feet were for a guy that was six foot four and was able to run and move. And I had never seen. I was like, this guy's an alien. You can't convince me any. <laughs> but I think the Steelers do. But the the biggest question mark for the Steelers is is very similar to one that they had a couple years ago with the loss of Devin Bush. Devin Bush was really the key of that defense. Everybody wants to point to Minka Fitzpatrick on the back end, who has kind of been the staple. But really the loss of Devin Bush tearing the ACL is is about as big of a loss as you can have since really Ryan Shazier. And then they spent about three years trying to find, or two years, I believe, trying to find a replacement for Ryan Shazier. They do have Vince Williams and Robert Spillane. Robert Spillane was, I think, in his second year out of Western Michigan, I want to say. Stylistically, he is very similar to uh, Devin Bush. They're obviously not the same player, or else he wouldn't have been at Western Michigan, and people would have heard of Robert Spillane. But he does play better in the pass game. Vince Williams is your old-school two-down linebacker that is going to stop the run, going to create tackles for a loss, and he's a real head basher. Um, in a lot of the cases, they would take him off the field on third downs and bring in a nickel package. Well, with Tennessee, the problem is that Tennessee stays in a lot of 12 personnel and what we call 21 personnel where they have two backs and one tight end or one running back and two tight ends. So really that forces the Steelers to stay in their base defense and they can't get another nickel guy on the field. And when they get the nickel guy on the field is when they like to bring pressure with Mike Hilton off the edge. And you see some of those splash plays with Hilton coming off the edge, disrupting the boot plays and those kinds of things. What does Tennessee like to do? Play action and boot plays. So you could see the, the, the chess match within the chess match of the different personnel packages and how um, Steelers might want to play the Titans. The Titans, like I said, like we talked about the other week, they don't do anything over-the-top creative. In fact, they had a big play last week um, versus Houston. That was the three-by-one set, and they ran basically a switch vertical concept, something that they ran in the last three games in the postseason that they actually all scored on in the red zone last year. They hit this one to a tight end um, just out of a slightly different look with a motion. But it's all the same play. It's all the same concept. It's just giving it a different wrinkle. Well, I guess we could uh, we could argue. We don't even argue on this show that if Western Michigan plays Miami of Ohio in a game, Derek and Mark will not get together to watch it as they have now disparaged those two fine universities. Go Broncos. Um, all joking aside, though, uh, you know, Tennessee, it, it is it is a bit old school. To your point, Derrick Henry is a flipping beast. We've had so many NFL players that we've interviewed over the years, Derek, who have said you can almost guarantee what a game, the outcome of a football game, if you watch the first two to three possessions offensively for each team. And if the team, the offensive line is getting a push up front, that team's going to have success. Defensive line's getting pushed up front. That team's going to have success. My question to you, though, is about the Titans' defense. The Titans' defense against Ben Roethlisberger and this Steeler offense. The Steelers are n- nowhere near as good at running the football as Tennessee is. Nobody's better at extending a play than Big Ben. Both we, You have to give Tannehill credit to. Tannehill and Roethlisberger's not turning the football over. Roethlisberger, I think, one interception this year. What... Tennessee's defense, well-coached, Mike Vrabel, very, very smart guy. What do they have to do to beat this Steeler offense? Well, I think you got to really shut down the outside, the perimeter throws, the deep ball throws to to Chase Claypool, 
and James Washington. Those have been their kind of home run hitters. They're really not afraid to take shots with them. Um, you could see a lot of too high structures to play over the top of those, some quarters and some uh, what we call cover four or some cover two type stuff to play over the top and really take away that concept. Um, you know, we talked about last week that they ran invert two and they ended up getting burned on it. So I'm going to take a wild guess that you're not going to probably see that this week. Um, so that that's really, I think, where you got to really start. You really got to shut down the, the perimeter deep ball throws. Um, obviously, James Conner has been uh, has been their battering ram uh, this this entire year. Some some interesting thought here from from the film study. Um, they really have up their their jet motions. Remember, we talked about jet motions earlier in the year. Really, with an uptick across the league, um, the Steelers have really incorporated the jet motion stuff. You know, you could see it on the goal line where they hand to Chase Claypool and he scores from, you know, three yards out, just gets to the edge fast and outruns everybody. But they're using it primarily on run plays. Really, you get more of a static look when it's a pass play. And I believe some of that is to do with Roethlisberger not being completely comfortable with the jet motion because when you get a jet motion, whether it's going from two by two or three by one, or vice versa, really a defense changes will change its call and its base structure, essentially, mm -hmm. to adjust to what you are doing um, offensively. So that might be something that Ben is not completely used to, but I could see that there would be an uptick in the pass game and off of their play action with the jet motion. Another interesting note, their quarterback coach is now Matt Canada, who they brought from, uh, he was at the University of Pittsburgh, who they obviously share a facility with. He kind of got ran out of LSU. Um, and he's been kind of everywhere else, and his staple thing was pre-snap motions and kind of displacing linebackers and getting really an angle or, or a spot on the field that he wants open using some of those things. So you could see maybe later in the year as the year progresses a little bit of an uptick in some of those jet motions and things of that nature. The third greatest football team of all time, according to most experts, Third greatest football team of all time in terms of an individual season were the 1978 Steelers. Oh, I one. <laughs> they're the only other Steelers team to start 5-0. and mm -hmm. It's a pretty good stat. And did you see Lenny Rostad? And Lenny, Lenny has all of this stuff, is that uh, in the last four years, including this year's week six, through eight, the Steelers have been nine and one under Mike Tomlin. Yeah. That is just where they find their sweet spot for whatever yeah. reason. Now, uh, much of it may have to do with the fact that they're playing their own division at that point in time. And, and sometimes you, know, you can feast on Cleveland right. and Cincinnati. They, they, you know, different. the schedule hasn't been that difficult. Right. Right. There's no doubt about it. But, I mean, a lot of people are saying they're the best team in the AFC North right now, which is saying a lot, considering that the Ravens were, oh, by the way, 14-2. and two. Like I said, it's going to be very, very interesting with, with the loss of Devin Bush and how it impacts them. And if it kind of tanks their season like the loss of Ryan Shazier loss. Hmm. Um, that's, like I said, that middle linebacker spot. I mean, it's almost like, you know, uh, playing at Notre Dame or, or playing, you know, shortstop for the Yankees. It's it's a middle linebacker for the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's it's a key position. So, Chicago Bears as well. I wouldn't be surprised if, if Tennessee tries to take advantage of that with some play actions and some intermediate play actions to really move those linebackers and hit some, you know, maybe some short dig routes or, or things like that that those linebackers typically aren't used to. Getting them into their base personnel, keeping Vince Williams and Robert Spillane on the field, not letting them get into a nickel 
and then running play action out of their base stuff. It's a great football game. It is a great really football is. game because <laughs> yeah. I just don't. Even with Pittsburgh, it, you know, and I think Pittsburgh's going to be favored. And I would say if I had to bet on, I would take Pittsburgh. But I don't think I'm, I'm just not going to sleep on the Titans anymore. They're just too well coached. They're just they're doing. I, I think Derek, maybe I don't know if you agree with this. They're just doing that their Belichick thing where they do the little things very, very well, and their attention to detail is excellent. No, I agree. One of the other last, key, last note here is that with the Deb Bush loss, on the flip side, you have loss of Taylor Lewan, their left tackle. So that is a very, very key injury on that offensive line. So it'll be interesting how they try and, you know, combat that Steelers pass rush with Watt, Dupree, and Tewitt, and Hayward, and how maybe the Steelers can dial up some pressure on a, on a newer left tackle. Yeah, again, I think that left tackle uh, going down is probably the more significant injury, if you ask me. And it bears repeating, the only other Steeler team starting 5-0 and were the 1978 Steelers, regarded by many as the third greatest individual season team in NFL history. All right. So, so it's the 90, 91 Washington football team would be number one. Who's number two in that? I would uh, say the 89 49ers. Okay, fair enough. We'll stay with that. That's our 85 list. 85 Bears, a, upon, after further Four. review, 85 Bears are 14th. <laughs> very nice. With that limited offense. With that limited passing offense. Very, very, very benign offense. They just got lucky that Jim McMahon happened to be, you know, in a good mood most of those games. And frankly, let's face it, uh, seven other people, the four of us, against that 85 New England Patriot team with Derek at quarterback and me with my <laughs> my 56-year-old wide receiver skills and Mark's deceptive speed. We'd have kept it close. I think. We, we would have kept it close. And that's win, why but... it's inexplicable that the, you know, Dan Marino-led Dolphins, when he's 24 <laughs> years old, couldn't beat him in the championship game in Miami. Enough said about that. Our last game uh, involves uh, a team that won their last game to save their season against a team that needs to win this game to save their season. The 49ers visit New England. How do you see this one shaking out, Derek? A lot of people liking the Niners, and I don't know about that. Well, yeah, let's let's start with the Niners. They're a very injury-riddled team. If there's anybody that's been uh, bit by the injury bug other than Philadelphia, which I've never seen anything like that. Oh, it's horror years in Philadelphia. The 49ers are definitely one. They have such a depleted front four, um, even with the loss of, you know, Richard Sherman getting hurt and then Garoppolo getting hurt. And then uh, is it Mar- Marstead is, is hurt the, as well this week too. So they're, yeah. they're extremely, they're extremely depleted everywhere. Now on the flip side, you do have the, one of the most creative and, um, dynamic play callers in the NFL um, with, with Kyle Shanahan and some of the just crazy, mo- more interesting stuff that he comes up with next uh, every week. I mean, I love watching some of his tape, and I like start writing it down. I want to give it to our offensive coordinator. Like, hey, can we run this? Can we run this? Can we run this? I really like it. So, like I said, I mean, some, some of the stuff they're doing offensively is so creative, especially with Debo Samuel, who I loved coming out of the draft. He's such yeah, a dynamic player. Him. They have a bunch of hybrids, pl- hybrid players with, with Juszczyk and Kittle and, and Debo Samuel. So they're actually using Debo Samuel in the run game as well um, with, with George Kittle being able to block as well as he does. Um, so what they're doing is they actually, Ted Wynn of The Athletic had a great piece on it. They call it the Deadpool package where they disguise um, essentially Debo Samuel as he's a receiver so to the defense, personnel-wise, it looks like 11 personnel. So that's one running back, one tight end. But in actuality, it's really 21 personnel. So they're running 
in which is two running backs, one tight end. So they're running two back run plays out of 11 personnel with some of the jet motion stuff. So they'll bring Samuel in motion, just quick flip them the ball, and they'll run outside zone. So you're getting a defense that's not in the right personnel, and Debo Samuel, when he has the ball in his hand, really runs like a running back. Um, he, he's a very you know stout person. He runs. He's a physical runner, and then obviously he can really you know uh, make great routes and, and catch the ball extremely well. So I think that they're such a dynamic offense. So like they'll have a they'll have that play where they'll run the outside zone, fake the outside zone, and then they'll hit Kittle on a basic or what we call it. Uh, well, it's a basic route, but it's a dig route. Um, just for common, I guess, vocabulary. Um, but the, some of the stuff, like I said, they, they scheme it up. It looks different, but it's really the same play. And it's really like the Sean McVay offense, but like on steroids. Yeah, and it reminds me, it's like he's watched uh, the Houston Veer or uh, some of these wing T stuff, and he's just taken things out of that as well to, to move guys uh, uh, around. Um, let's... Uh, the play of Jimmy Garoppolo is, um, you know, it, it's been a bit inconsistent. Injury certainly a part of that. When you watch him, tell us what you see because, boy, I tell you, it's hard to find middle ground with people with this guy. There are people who think he, you know, we haven't reached the ceiling yet. He's so good. And then there are people who are encouraging them to give up on him. What are you seeing from Jimmy Garoppolo? Strengths and weaknesses, Derek? Well, I think Jimmy G is really a scheme-based quarterback. He really fits what Kyle Dutt wants to do. I think for the most part, um, he struggles really like what it's similar to like a Jared Goff where you don't want to get in behind the sticks and force him to get in the gun and take a three-step drop and make a full field read. I think he's better off of play action and the boot action, which is what led them to the Super Bowl. And really their run game has been what the most dominant thing was. What did you do to throw the ball four times in the uh, NFC Championship game is like the game was from 1944. <laughs> So I think that that's where he thrives, where the reads are defined for him. Um, I don't think that he is, is at his best when they go five wide and they try to throw the ball around the field. Doesn't have, um, you know, overall great athleticism. He's mobile enough. But I think in this league nowadays, you kind of have to have both. Um, you got to have the 1A and the 1B. You got to have being able to throw from the pocket. And really 1B is to make that the, the second reaction plays that you're seeing by by so many of these quarterbacks nowadays. And I think a little bit, it's kind of a bold statement, but I think that Jimmy Garoppolo is kind of holding back um, th this offense with some of the weapons that they have. Because like I said, there's so many hybrids in the way that Kyle Shanahan schemed things up. It's a matchup nightmare for, for defenses because you got to figure out how are we going to play George Kittle? Because sometimes he's a receiver, sometimes he's a blocker. Sometimes use check as a tight end, sometimes he's a running back, sometimes he's a receiver. Debo Samuel, same as thing. So really, you know, I, I think Garoppolo is best when he is working in a rhythm. The reads are defined. He's throwing off of his third or fifth step, and he's getting the ball out quickly. The longer he holds on to the ball, the more trouble um, will come into play. So let's talk about New England and this must win that everyone is saying that they have to have. Uh -huh. Cam Newton, who is up and down as he often is, even in his best years. Uh, where are they right now? They're kind of a offensively, they're, they're not the 49ers, almost the opposite of the 49ers. They're, they're kind of slow and plodding. Uh -huh. And I know they're relying a lot on Cam's legs. But 
Bill Belichick is Bill Belichick. The Patriots are the Patriots. You know, I don't think anyone's ready to jump off that bandwagon until the bandwagon literally has no more wheels left. Where are you on this team right now? And can they take advantage of a depleted 49er defense that inexplicably is fifth in the league still? Uh, They played the Giants and the Jets, so maybe that helps. Uh, But can can they take advantage of that? Can they put pressure on Jimmy G and, and... you know, interrupt that rhythm that you're talking about? Uh, what do they need to do? Well, let's start defensively. Um, schematically, New England is is a man team. They, they love to play man coverage. The different types of man coverage they play uh, are varied. They'll play some robber stuff. They'll play some other schemes where they'll pass off, especially to stop some of the crossing routes that, that Kyle Shanahan and the 49ers and a lot of teams nowadays are trying to run where they pass off crossers and they really trap the quarterback and throwing into, into double coverage a lot. It looks like, oh, my gosh, the quarterback threw into double coverage. What is he looking at? Really, they'll trap him playing man coverage and passing stuff off. So the communication on the back end is really key on that. Um, you could see them come out in some something very similar to what they did to the Rams actually in 2019 in the Super Bowl, where they came out in the five one or the six one structure. And really, the the point of that is to create one on one blocks. Um, the the Niners' run game is is built around outside zone and wide zone the same way that the Rams is. So creating those one on one blocks is not allowing those those guards and those double teams to work up to the second level to open up some gaps for linebackers is really, I think, what New England might try and do. Um, sending, obviously, sending pressure from different spots to get Jimmy Garoppolo and uh, off his spot and out of rhythm would probably be um, the, their game plan going into this. Um, I think offensively, really, they took a step back. Um, they obviously had you know Cam Newton not play against Kansas City because of coronavirus. Um, he kind of resorted back to the Cam Newton that we saw the last few years in Carolina where his mechanics were, were really all over the place, um, did not look comfortable. They looked out of sync. Um, a lot of that has to do with not practicing. You know, you can't get timing over Zoom. So I think that that's probably their biggest struggle. They're still trying to figure out who they are offensively, I think. Um, you know, obviously they're, they're varied in the run game and, and – the, the running backs that they use, I think they got about 14 running backs. Um, they are very limited on the perimeter, still waiting for Nikhil Harry to pop their, their first-round pick from a couple years ago. Edelman has had some getting separation issues and also some drop issues. So, like I said, still trying to figure out who they are, but I think right now they're going to lean on Cam Newton in the run game, trying to just take the air out of the game, no pun intended. Um, Mark, I don't know if you wanted to cover any more on that game, but uh, we did have some breaking news we saw uh, in the feed. And also, I just checked here on the phone uh, concerning Antonio Brown. So I want to get Derek's uh, um, opinion on this. Uh, Obviously, there had been talk about Seattle. There was a great deal of interest in Seattle. Russell Mm -hmm. Wilson came out and talked about him. But now apparently the Buccaneers are high on the list. Um, So just for you, Derek, where do you see him? Out, off the field stuff, let's take the Antonio Brown on the field because there are few receivers who are any better, maybe mm-hmm. Hopkins, one or two other guys. But where does that, where is the fit best for you in that situation, Tampa or Seattle? Well, the Tampa situation is extremely interesting because of the history between him and Bruce Arians. They did not get along in Pittsburgh early in, in Antonio Brown's career. Um, when they also had, that was a 
pretty crowded receiver room. They had Emmanuel Sanders and Mike Wallace, and I'm not sure if Heinz Ward was still there. I don't think he was, um, but ex- he might have been. Extremely crowded receiver room in Pittsburgh. They obviously, you know, bumped heads. Um, Bruce Arian said that he would not sign him earlier in the offseason. So is that official? Did they actually sign him? No, they haven't signed him. He's flying to Tampa, actually, for a meeting, and Seattle is in the mix. So, I mean, again, and take everything with a grain of salt, but apparently it's down to Seattle or Tampa Bay, at least for right now. And the, the, and as I said, the reports are that he's actually flying to Tampa to meet with them. Well, I'm going to be biased because my Super Bowl pick was Seattle, so I'd like to see him go to Seattle. And I have <laughs> fantasy, so that's that would be double points. Um, so I think I actually think that the fit would probably be Seattle. He's worked with Russell Wilson throughout the offseason. Russell Wilson has been a huge, huge you know fan of his and, and trying to get that front office to sign him. Um, really, the PR nightmare is is for the front office to figure. I think that that's kind of Russell Wilson's. He's like, hey, I just want to throw a touchdown. So that could be a pretty dynamic receiving core and give a lot of secondaries issues with with not only Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf, and then you add Antonio Brown, who who can really – he's so varied in the things that he does and the things that he does well. You could put him in the slot. You could put him outside. Um, he's a really dynamic player. He's an extremely good route runner. And I think that the the – the difference between Russell Wilson and Tom Brady, obviously he had you know a, a brief stint with Tom Brady, is let's go back to, to the Steelers and, and what that kind of dynamic was with Roethlisberger. Antonio Brown's, a lot of his big plays were big structure plays, that they were on the same page, that they were able to look at each other, that if Ben scrambled right, Antonio Brown might cut to the sideline and then get upfield. What does Russell Wilson do really well? Second reaction plays. So I think that that could be – you know, so explosive, and, and that would ge- give teams so much of a headache because you really have to prepare for two plays, the actual play and then the out-of-structure play. It's so very interesting. And Tom Brady standing over there going, I got Randy Moss for a while, but outside of that, please give me an all-pro wide receiver. I would love that. Now, now I would say Mike Evans is is, is close to that, but yeah. in, a, in a way, as a, uh, as a uh, 49er fan, I'm rooting for the Bucks to get him just so that Seattle doesn't get him. <laughs> I don't really care if he helps the Bucks or not, but uh, it would be nice to take him to keep him away from Seattle. All right, that's all good stuff, Derek. It's remarkable. It's it's fun. Thank you for all your insight. Great stuff, man. And we look forward to you um, next week. I mean, I kind of I kind of want to make this a, a segment on Fridays on football, fabulous, fun, family. Please stop saying that. <laughs> Fridays, we get you uh, breaking down a few games. Before we let you go, though, we're going to put you on the spot, obviously. You've done all this homework, done all this work, done all this prep. You make John and I look like even bigger bums than we normally are. And um, I, I, we need predictions on all three games from you. Okay. Well, what are the spreads? Uh, hold on. I got that. I got that. Uh, let's start with uh, Seattle, Arizona. Seattle's a three and a half point favorite. Ooh. <laughs> I think I'm going to take Seattle. I think Seattle wins at like 28 24. Ooh, right. okay. Barely beating the spread. Yep. All right. Uh, New England is a two point favorite. It's at New England on San Francisco. I think New England gets back on track. All right. And uh, what was the other one we jumped on? Uh, Steelers. 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 Where's the I think, Pittsburgh? I think I don't think they're favorite. I, I think, think Tennessee's favorite. 
They're like a three-point underdog, which is insane to me. I'm taking it's, it's down to one. Oh, it's a one point. I'm uh, yeah. Pittsburgh. So you're taking yeah. Pittsburgh. Uh, you're, so you're taking Pittsburgh. You're taking New England, the home team. Which and is you're taking against, a questionable road favorite in Seattle. Which is which is going against like everything that my dad has ever said is never bet on the Steelers because they will always disappoint you. So I'm going against his advice, and he'll probably be calling me and going, "Hey, I told you, don't don't bet on that." Except uh, we, you got we, Lenny in your corner. Way. You got Lenny in your corner. I I love your dad. You know that. Close personal friend of mine. I'm going to take Lenny on betting on the Steelers. Always. <laughs> As will I. Always. Week six through eight, they're gold. And oh, <laughs> by the one. way, for the third time, the only other Steelers team to start 5-0 were the 1978 Pittsburgh Steelers, oh, regarded as the third best uh, football team of all time. Derek. Mark got on Wikipedia. Derek Abbott, <laughs> thank you very, very much. Great work out of you, and we'll see you next week. Thanks a lot. Buddy. Thanks, Derek. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Outstanding. All right. So uh, that took up almost an hour, which I'm very happy about. That's okay, because I don't really have many. uh, I I don't really have too many opinions on tonight's most pivotal World Series game ever. Well, it's uh, Walker Bueller and Charlie Morton. Yeah, Uh, that's a great matchup. It's a great pitching matchup. I am on record for saying that they were going to sweep and I'm wrong. You were on record saying they could win game two and they did. And uh, I'm very happy that it's a, a series at this point in time. To your point, Johnny, last uh, last episode, you don't want to get them too ahead. What was the what was the comparison? You don't want to get them too uh, too much of a lead, otherwise. Oh, it's the, yeah, it's, was it's, it's, the it's secretary. It's, War it's no, it's War Admiral okay. and uh, and Seabiscuit. You know, you can't, can't you let go. that big monster shake loose. We'll never catch him. So you got to you got to stay within him. That was a that was a great game that played out the way that I think Tampa would have liked for it to play out. Uh, the main thing in that game was Brandon Lau getting off the Schneike because he had been Twice. really really cold. And if his bat has awakened, that's going to help because they've struggled with runners on base. It's been a lot of one-run home runs for Tampa in their scoring. So if if Lau has stay is has gotten off the Schneike and will stay there, a Rosarena hitting well. If you know, I, I think they can. I think they can push this series deeper than I know you you do because I know now you're saying Dodgers in five. Well, I said six initially, and I it's probably you, gonna, all right. It's probably going to be that. Sweep. Uh, I did. I moved to a sweep after that. I think I, I want to ask you this, John, because you have very specific feelings about this, very strong feelings about this. Me? Uh, yes, you do. And uh, okay. have you noticed over the last three years, I mean, I think everyone's talked about it, that it's either a strikeout or a home run that yeah. you want. And, and Andrew Friedman of the of the Dodgers, who was previously running the Rays, uh, understands and he, he identifies these huge, tall pitchers who can strike out people. And right. he gets these hitters who play great defense and can hit home runs. And if you look at the Dodgers and how they beat the Braves, and you look at how they won game one, and you look at all the teams out there, it's, it's, it's like Earl Weaver was a prophet. Yeah. It, that's what it feels like. It's the three-run home run sure, which will win you the game, and that's what seems to happen. All well, I, I think I even mentioned. The vast majority of these runs are, 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 are scored with home runs. I think I even mentioned it that I believe it was John Smoltz doing one of the series and discussing how in the past, the way he learned baseball coming up, the way he was ranked, this would be the time where you drop down a bunt. This would be the hit and run time. And he said, you just don't see it anymore. 
It's just not there. And he spent, and I don't remember which game it was. I think it might have been divisional series that he was doing, but he just kept laying down the time and said he was going to do it. Uh, he pointed out the times when, in the past, this would be what you did. This was 101 with what managers did. And to your point, and he said it too, he said, now it's all about home runs. It's all about the power game. Um, well, because I it's do all think about it's the power game with the pitchers too. That's right. the thing. It's I like do think it's interesting power. though. I do think it's interesting though. We talked about this last time. E- even with all of that, we have two of the best defensive teams in baseball in the and World I, Series. And I like that, that in the end, defense won it for the Los Angeles Dodgers. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Let's go back to progressive real quick, even though Joe Connolly got it immediately on the second set of clues okay joe let us know was it the second set that uh inadvertently was presented to you that helped you but let's let's start here i played 10 plus years career numbers 2700 plus completions 30,000 plus uh yards 150 plus touchdowns led the league in completion percentage once all four years his college team finished in the top 10 that threw me i figured it would that really threw me would Won a national championship. I think that would throw people as well. NFL, Walter Payton, Man of the Year. Played with four head coaches. I thought that might throw some people. Six-time Pro Bowler. Let's just continue. Let's just continue at this point. Continue. Sorry. Yeah, let's do it. We've already seen these. Playoff numbers. Very good, obviously. 3,700-plus yards. 20-plus touchdowns. First-round draft pick. Number one overall, actually. Attended two colleges and won multiple Super Bowls. I got it it on that one. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) It is the great, the Hall of Famer, as a broadcaster and as a football player, Troy Aikman. And Joe got it right away. The national championship was as a backup quarterback at Oklahoma, correct? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Now, I know he played a little that season and then ended up at UCLA. What really threw me there was the fact that UCLA finished in the top 10 in any year since Gary Beban. I'm so surprised that that's the case. And you were there with Beban, right? Late 60s? That's when you were there in the late 60s? I was not not there with Gary Beban. I was there. uh, Flipping off the president of the university out there just protesting with Lou Alcindor. Speaking of protesting, have you seen the trial of the Chicago 7? I have not yet seen that, no. Man, I just haven't had a chance. I have not had the opportunity. You realize there's sporting events that are on, and we nominally do a sports talk podcast. I understand we nominally do a sports podcast, but you have time to see this, Johnny. I don't. I don't. We're binge watching Fargo. We're binge watching Fargo. You're binge watching Fargo. That's fine. I hear that this this outstanding fourth season is outstanding. We're on season two. We just started, got through season one, binge watching season two. Fair enough. All right. Uh, No, UCLA under Terry Donahue in the 80s. Yeah. Were, were pretty good. They were just good enough to lose. They were that team. They were that <laughs> team that, you know, finished sixth, finished ninth, you know, won a bowl game. And so people yeah. thought, wow, what the one Rose Bowl and lost it, maybe that sort yeah, of thing. Yeah, you know, it's oh, that kind of thing. Right. It's so, yeah. Uh, All right. There it is. Troy Aikman and uh, Terry Donahue. I thought that would really throw some people. And it, I'm not sure what Joe Connolly did. It's all about. The stars, what he said. Okay, so what all, Joe Connolly also says is that Washington is going to end up with the first pick. Yep, and, and they're going to waste it like they did on Haskins. Trevor Lawrence. But, well, it's perfect. It's absolutely perfect. It, it's what's going to happen. He'll spend four years in the league, and then it'll be it, it, then it's going to be Ryan Leaf. He's going to Ryan Leaf the rest of his life away. I'm just I'm I'm telling you right now, Ryan gonna, Leaf. Yep. 
Yeah, he's going to be, you know, he's going to be Dennis Quaid and everybody's all American. He'll be, you know, bloated and smoking at some sort of alumni banquet, just, you know, shoving steamship round into into a bag so he can eat the next night and you know just just praying for the next time the clemson they they have the alumni association has something so he can eat i'm telling you it's what's going to happen and it's perfect if he's a, if he's a washington all football guy all right before happen. we wrap this baby up locks, uh, shocks, all right locks jocks brother you were on record by the way you were yeah. on record for this trevor lawrence bus thing over yes. and over and over you are on record for this thing all right all right, so give me your locks and shocks, Johnny. Uh, my lock uh, for this, because I spent a lot of time on my shocks because I've just been really, really bad. Um, but my uh, my lock for this weekend is going to be um, Buffalo, even at, at 12 points. I think they, they feel like they've underperformed a little bit over a couple of weeks. I think the Jets are... You know, every minute creeps closer to the Adam Gase's firing. Um, Joe Flacco looked old and tired and confused. Uh, I'm not sure if Darnold's coming back. I'm not sure if it's a positive if Darnold comes back. I think it speaks more to the Jets. And I think Buffalo might be a little bit better than we've seen them over the last couple of weeks. I, I, I think maybe some a little bit of their being exposed. I think we might have been a little too high on them in the beginning, but I think they really, really bounced back, and I think they handled the Jets um, pretty easily. Uh, my shock, actually, um, is uh, I think I, I think Green Bay is going to struggle at Houston, and I think Houston's going to win the game. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I uh, – I, I think again we were overvaluing Green Bay a bit. Well, I I do agree with that. There's no doubt. Um, I and I do think that uh, you know I, I maybe I may be uh, overreacted by I may be overreacted to that statistic about Aaron Rodgers not ever coming from behind. That he you know that when that right. team falls behind and in Houston and God knows it's Texas they'll probably fill the dump maskless. Uh, only allowing people who sneeze in the, th- in the in the stadium. I believe it is. It's sneezing day at uh, at Reliant Stadium. Only people who are sneezing uh, are allowed. So there's going right. to be a lot of people there. Um, I just have this this sneaky suspicion. It's my questionable road favorite. It's and I think what's going to happen, Mark? Sunday. It's fossil fuel Sunday for I the. Uh, it's fossil tech. fuel. Uh, bring uh, bring your whatever solar powered panel and we'll destroy it we'll and, destroy uh, it or a wind wind turbine will destroy it it'll be that's like right. build saving that birds disco night serving saving birds all over the world clean and uh, <laughs> clean energy demolition uh, uh it should be it should be a lot of fun uh but that uh that, that that's it i i really think and then i think we're going to overreact to green bay and then i think they'll bounce back and win a couple i think it's that type of season mark all right and just looking at you know with the lack of practice and what's going on i think that's that's the season, right? There. I almost went with my shock, the uh, wa- your Washington football team over Dallas, and then I studied the uh, the line. It's, it's to pick them one. It's, it's a pick them yeah. now. It's to a pick them yeah. now. It's that is unbelievable to me. So I, I stayed away from that, and I'm going to go with what the the games we talked about. Seattle's a lock. Okay, Seattle's an absolute lock. And, okay. the, and the Steelers are the shock because they're still the underdog right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I thought you might go. With, I thought you might with, go with Tampa Bay. 
as the shock? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, as, yeah, three-and-a-half-point favorite at Las Vegas. And the Raiders have been, you know, there have been weeks where the Raiders have have looked awfully good. And, and Tampa uh, hasn't shown a lot of consistency yet. So I did, I did flirt with that. But I'm going to go with the Steelers. I'm going to okay. go with Lenny. I'm going to go with the analysis of Derek. And, uh, and I'm going to actually continue with the trend I've had about dissing Tennessee this entire year. Steelers in the shock. Seahawks, who are the class of the NFC, if you ask me. By uh, the way, Lenny they're gonna agreeing win. with me. Lenny agreeing with me. That the Texans are going to beat uh, the Texans are going to beat Green Bay. Really? And Joe Connolly saying that Cincinnati will beat Cleveland would not surprise me terribly. Would not at all. I think. Uh, I think the the thing with Cleveland right now is they need to find a better offensive identity. And I think that something that Derek was saying about um, Jimmy G is I, I think they need Baker Mayfield in more of a rhythmic offense than they do Baker Mayfield. I know he loves to work out of schedule, but I think in the NFL at this point, I don't think that that's working for him very well. And I think he has a tendency to force things when he's working off schedule a little bit. So Cincinnati upsetting Cleveland, you know, even though on paper Cleveland looks like a a much better team, that that would not shock me in any way. All right, so what do you think about tonight? I have two questions for you. What do you think about tonight? Mm -hmm. That's the first question. Uh, Why don't you answer that first? I think Dodgers win. All right. And then uh, what's what's your plan for uh, college football Saturday tomorrow? Having a beautiful day watching college football. What are your plans? What are your plans for college football Saturday, Johnny? Well, for at least a couple of hours, I'm going to be doing reshoots for Spring Awakening, the online streaming play that uh, I, well, good I for hope you having everyone... a gig. Good for you having a paying gig. That's outstanding. That's a, so that's a, that's a I'm doing it for free. Um, it's gone on for weeks. But you know what? It's 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 a benefit for this theater, Theater South, that my friend uh, owns and runs. It, Who we both love lot, very much. Yeah, we love Hillary. They 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 have great programs for kids, um, it, it, for, of all ages, young kids into high school. I mean, she's had uh, some of her students go on to uh, college and had some success in theater as well. So I'm doing it as a, as as a nice thing. It's just I thought I had tomorrow off. I thought I was done. We went into the theater last night and we filmed the bows for the damn thing. And that should mean that it's over. But right. I have to do a reshoot of, I think, five uh, scenes. They're very short, but they do require that I change wardrobe every time. And it's it's awfully effortful, Mark. And you know, on a Saturday particularly, you know my feelings about effort. Particularly I'm, on I'm Saturday. I'm Homer Simpson. When you're, Homer filled, Simpson. When you're filled with whiskey and right. herb. Right. <laughs> what? <laughs> Good Lord. Uh, Whiskey no. and herb. And, and the thing the thing about you, John Pelkey, is that it happened. After further review, got you out of your dark mood. You, you talked about the grand picture, the overall yeah. picture of helping out a theater that does so much for its community. And there you are. You have it. This is still of- this is still where my mood is right here. This is I don't still, think so. I'm it's still Bruce up. Dern. I'm still Bruce Dern. I've got it's lightened up just a bit. If I could find my dress blues, this may. Can you play Out of Time by the Rolling Stones? And can we just can we just take this where uh, where it belongs? No, this has got me in a better mood. It was great talking football with Derek. I did not realize that it was as great a week. Hold on, I got to say that even disturbs me. Uh, I didn't realize it was such a good week in the NFL. Yeah, 
It's because finally. they haven't all been really great weeks. And this is finally one where uh, maybe we're going to learn more about these teams. I just think the uh, the only thing consistent this year has been a lot of inconsistency. Yeah. Um, I'll really be interested, though. I, I do With have the to exception tell you. of Tennessee, Pittsburgh, yeah. Seattle. Yeah. yeah, I mean, there are there are a few teams that are the exceptions to the rule. But, I mean, I even think good teams have had really off weeks, more than we've seen before. I'm sure this has a lot to do with the lack of practice. Um, I'm also just really, really interested to see Arizona because uh, certainly the Cowboys gave them the ball four times and there were some issues there. Um but the Giants think- against the Giants against the Cowboys were up seventeen to three. I don't think it's indicative of where the Cardinals are, but I understand what you're talking about. To your point, John, you brought up the fact that Kyler Murray was nine of twenty four. Nine of twenty four. Yeah, and, and they he was beat him by what thirty points, thirty eight to ten. Yeah, almost thirty points. Uh, so I, I'm just real, real interested. That's that's a team that to me that's really, really continually, uh, continually interesting to watch. And I think great, Kyler Murray and Russell Wilson, you've got the best baseball players in any matchup this uh, year because Russell Wilson was also drafted into Major League Baseball, and Kyler Murray could have been playing for the A's in the playoffs this year if he decided to do that. Um, Big Ten football coming up this weekend, and you and I talked about it. Uh, not a huge weekend for matchups, but that Michigan Minnesota matchup to me. Um, and that'll be tomorrow night. You and I are actually uh, hanging out tomorrow night. We're going to see a theatrical thing downtown Orlando. Uh, I'm going to warn you, Mark, and, and and listeners of After Further Review, this this one in three chance, this is our final show. Because apparently, uh, as we, we follow them around, like three to four miles. So the fact that we're going to do that, there's better than one in three chance. One of us is going to have a stroke or a coronary. One of us um, expires. One of us expires during the course of maybe, the war. Maybe both. What's the over-under on both of us passing away at some point during the show? And here's the other question. If I did pass away, yeah. if we were doing it and all of a sudden, you know, clutch my chefs, the widowmaker, I drop to the ground, uh, whatever. You're dead before you hit the ground, right? Are you? Do you, do you watch the rest of the show? I mean, you, you can't help me. Uh, do you just basically make a call to Jody? Because I'm thinking that's what you probably would do. You know, just say, hey, Joe. Hi. Yeah. No, it's good. Joe, no, I'm enjoying right. it. No, uh, yeah. Th- and th- there's, um, a, there's a great moment. I really need to follow this one character to see what happens next. I mean, I really need to see what happens next, Jody. I mean, the, your husband's dead. What, what, are we, what, what could I possibly do? Hey, Jody, can you come get the body? Because uh, we got to go down to the next stop. David Lowe is so good in this, though. Yeah, I think that's, uh, that, that's, yeah. that's what I'm going to see from you. I can see that. I can see I that. probably and me, given my levels of observation and the and the deep connections I make with people, I, I'm probably at the end of the show before I realize you're not there anymore. I don't even know when you've gone. That's true. But if that happened to you, Johnny, if you were dead before you hit the ground, yeah, uh, that would prove the existence of a benevolent God, because it you must. have said forever that it'll be a slow death. You will be lonely in a in a in a gutter, curled yeah. up in the fetal position for weeks, for weeks, yeah. just slowly ebbing away like Edgar Allan Poe. And uh, if you were to die that way, even that at the relatively young age of 55, 56, mm-hmm. uh, that would be great fortune for you in a lot of ways. Would you not agree? It's, it's probably about the best that I could hope for. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, it's the best any of us could hope for. All right. Well, uh, with that said, uh, before we leave the upset special, I do think watch Pittsburgh tomorrow. Okay. Notre Dame. Watch Pittsburgh right. against them. Yeah, no, that's All a right. really good call. And and before we leave, too, I should let you know that uh, Antonio Brown has signed with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Woo! 
<laughs> I love well, it. It's, I love it. It's good. Boy, I tell you, another another piece for, for that puzzle. It's going to be incredibly disappointing if they don't. Don't you think at this point in time, if they don't get to the conference championship, that there's going to be a huge level of disappointment down there? Because they're all in, man. They are all in. I mean, they have to win at least one playoff game. I don't I don't know about the conference championship because, remember, everyone, uh, unless you get the – there's only one bye this year. Yeah. Okay? And it's probably going to be Seattle. And uh, everyone has to play two games before they even get to the championship game. So if Tampa doesn't make the playoffs and win at least one playoff game, then I agree with you. Expecting the championship game from a team that – all right, maybe that's sniffed fair. anything for 20 years. But with the GOAT, bringing in Antonio Brown. By the way, here's a quote from Brown after being signed uh, by Tampa. When asked by uh, a local reporter why he chose Tampa over Seattle, he said, and I quote, that fucking 12th man. So there you go. <laughs> I just thought maybe you'd, uh, you. you'd, you'd appreciate you. that. You, I you would, would appreciate I've always, I knew I, I knew I liked Antonio Brown. You know, his <laughs> proclivities. You know. Speak to me, if you will. All right. For Derek Abbott, for Jeff Taylor, for John Pelkey, I'm Mark Furr. You've been listening to After Further Review. Have a great weekend, everyone.